Uh, tonight, well, we're back in the book of Proverbs. We're seeking wisdom. Okay, wisdom is, uh, you know, right and wrong. That's part of it. Living righteously, that's part of it. But wisdom is about navigating the complexities of life. Okay, uh, uh, there we go. Move off the squeaky board. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's right to raise your children in the Lord. That's a right thing to do. It's not right or wrong. It's, or I mean, it, it's right or wrong. It's clear cut. That's what I'm trying to say. Does that mean Christian schooling, homeschooling, public school? Okay, that requires wisdom to figure out where your kids are at, what their needs are, what the options are. Okay, that's navigating the complexities of life. One of the most complex areas of life is our inner lives. Okay, uh, I think probably a lot of us would say if I could just get my inner life sorted, everything would be fine. Uh, but the reality of our inner life is it's oftentimes like we're sailing on the surface of the water and there's stuff going on under there that we don't really know what is. Uh, you know, sometimes a whale comes up and spouts and it's like, okay, there's something under there. Or, um, of course, the iceberg. Uh, I was hiking um, on a men's hike a number of years ago up in the Cascades and we were on the, coming from the east side, so it was really hot and we got up there and there was this little iceberg floating around in the lake and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? It's floating around. I'm going to try and swim under it. And so I stripped down and jumped in, and it was freezing cold, and you know all the water air out of my lungs immediately. And then I opened my eyes and remembered, oh yes, icebergs are larger under the surface than they are above the surface. So it was, did, did not swim under it. I got back out immediately. But that's what our inner life is like. We see things floating along. Okay, yeah, I've got, you know, I, I, sometimes I cuss at the other cars in traffic. There's a little bit of anger there. But it's just a little thing on the surface. And then you start getting at it, and there's a whole thing underneath the surface there, right? Um, or I suppose, yeah, anyway, so uh, Proverbs 14.10 makes this point. Proverbs 14.10, the heart knows it's, uh, let me make sure I got the right one. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger, or it could be uh, no one else is the idea, shares its joy. That is to say, there is both joy and bitterness in our hearts that no one else fully all the way understands, okay? Uh, you know, oftentimes, I know Albert and Ruth do this, Kelsey and I do this, one of us will read a book, the other one reads it next, did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. But did we like it for the same reason? Did we enjoy it for the same reasons? Is it, you know, did we connect in the same way? So even over the same experience with someone that you're closest to, there's aspects of that that we don't know. Proverbs 16.2 tells us all the ways of a man are pure in his own sights, but the Lord weighs the spirit. That is to say, in general, we do everything that we think is right, and yet the Lord weighs it, and there's parts that aren't right, because there's depths to our own spirits that we don't fully understand. So if we want to be wise people, we need to navigate our inner lives well, the complexity of our inner lives. Okay, so that's the task before us tonight, to think about our inner lives. Uh, let's pray them, because this obviously is beyond our ability. Lord, we thank you for your word that challenges us, that nourishes us, that heals us. By your Holy Spirit, uh, as we've just sung, remind us that we are your children. Teach us how to live as your children. Use your word by your Holy Spirit to sustain us. Apply it to each life as you see fit. Lord, you know our inner lives are often hidden from others and even from ourselves, but let us grow in our wisdom, navigating the complexity of our inner life. 
Amen. Okay, uh, here's the way into it. There's all kinds of things going on in your, your inner life, okay? But the way into it is picking up that little line from Exodus this morning that Moses obeys God and goes to tell Israel the message that God has for them. And it said in Exodus 6-9, but Israel didn't listen because their spirit was crushed, and, or their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I want to pick up that idea of broken spirit because it appears a number of times in the book of Proverbs and kind of use that as a way into thinking about our inner lives. It's a strange comment, isn't it? That they don't listen or they can't hear because of their broken spirits. When Pharaoh ramped up the slavery, it got to a point where it, it snapped. You know, it's the straw that broke the camel's back or the lack of straw that broke the... You know what I'm saying. But anyways, uh, sorry, uh, I was at the nursing home mid-afternoon, so third service, the dad jokes uh, won't be fully coherent, so just bear with me. Uh, uh, but their spirit has now been broken. And it, in fact, when we look through the book of Exodus and the chapters that are coming, Israel doesn't really say anything again until they're out of Egypt. When they're at the Reed Sea, then they say something, and then it's, why did you bring us out here to die? Uh, so, uh, but their spirit has been broken. There has to be a work of God to restore their spirit. So what is this about? The spirit being broken. Uh, right before we dig into it, we just need to clarify two ideas, the spirit and the heart. Okay, they both refer to our inner lives, but in different aspects. Uh, the spirit, the Hebrew word is the ruach. It means wind, breath, spirit. Uh, same in Greek in the New Testament, the uh, pneuma means spirit or, or wind. Um, the idea is it's, it's the inner, our inner wind, our inner vitality, our uh, emotional energy, uh, that's kind of the idea of our inner spirits, our inner life. Um, in English, we talk about the heart being the seat of the emotions, where we feel things. In the Old Testament, it tends to be things like the liver and kidneys that you feel things in. Um, uh, it's neither here nor there. The bottom line is you feel things in your gut, and, and we talk about different organs. In the Old Testament, the heart generally refers to more the seat of thoughts and will, so our commitments. So think about... Um, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So what you spend money on, you're going to be committed to that thing. You're invested in it. Um, so when we hear Proverbs talk about heart, it doesn't necessarily mean emotions like we think. It means probably more thoughts, will, that kind of aspect. And the Spirit is talking about the inner life as a whole. So keep those in mind. Okay, I want to start then with Proverbs 18.14. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'll just talk about Sorry, Jay. <laughs> So Proverbs 18.14, I'm going to say, let's use a medical metaphor. Here is the basic condition that we find in Proverbs 18.14. And hopefully this helps you track a little bit if I write it up here, at least a reference. Proverbs 18.14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? A man's, sickness will endure sick, uh, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? What's it saying there? The first part, a man's spirit can endure sickness. It's saying even in the midst of, uh, 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 or uh, the two parts are, I should stick on my notes here, not <laughs> just ad-lib. Uh, the bottom line, oh sure, thanks Greg. Uh, Alright, here we go. The first thing this proverb is doing, 1814, is driving home the importance of the inner life. 
Okay, it's driving home the importance of the inner life. Because the first part is saying a man's spirit can endure sickness. Saying even if you're sick, you're dealing with cancer, you have broken bones, by the fortitude of your spirit, by the force of spirit, you can overcome that. But the second part, a crushed spirit who can bear. Okay, if your spirit, which would give you the fortitude to overcome difficulty, is crushed, then how in the world can you overcome? So it's drawing a line under the importance of the inner life. And it's contrasting for us, on the one hand, fortitude, and on the other hand, spiritual depression. Okay, so by spirit, you can overcome adversity. We might call this fortitude, resiliency, grit. We can overcome physical adversity by force of spirit. Um, I read this biography uh, at Christmas, and I brought it actually to Linda Joel, but Eric Little, uh, the, the sprinter, Olympic sprinter, and then he went on to be a missionary in China, and then he was interned in a prisoner of war camp, and while he was there, um, he developed a brain tumor and ultimately died of the brain tumor in the prisoner of war camp. But while he had the physical affliction of a brain tumor that was undiagnosed till after his death, he, uh, one, one other fellow inmate said he did the work of 10 men, that he would do his chore duty, he'd do a bunch of other chore duties. Uh, and then after that, he would organize the youth into sort of youth groups, Bible studies. Um, everybody said he was the most cheerful guy in the camp and that he got them through being interned. Uh, and in fact, even weeks before he died, he organized and raced in a sports day where they had a sprint around the camp to do it. Uh, because he had, uh, he had spirit, and so he could overcome even sickness. But on the other hand, if your spirit is crushed, who can bear it? What's this proverb telling us, 1814? It's telling us that there's a condition, the wounded or crushed spirit, that is more severe than any physical wound. Okay? It's more severe. How can you survive? You can survive a broken body. You can't survive a broken spirit. Okay, so there's the basic condition. Does that make sense? Does this... Does the Proverbs language resonate with you? Or are, you are you kind of tracking with what it's talking about? Uh, Bunyan calls it the slough of despond, I think. Um, slew? That's how you pronounce it. Sorry, I'm saying it wrong. The slough of despond. <laughs> I know the word slew speaking, and I know the word written, but then all of a sudden it clicked in my head that that's the same word. So uh, the, s the slew of despond. Slew. Uh, you know the back way into Everett? You, yeah, you... The back way into Everett, you pass over the slew. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah, the slew of despond is what Bunyan calls it. But this idea of spiritual depression, of despair. Okay, so that's the basic condition. What then are the causes or the cause? And what we're going to see, uh, one of the ways that Proverbs gives us wisdom and helps us to navigate the complexity of our inner life is Proverbs is ir or, or resolutely anti-reductionistic. Uh, that's too big of a way of saying it. But Proverbs recognizes there is complexity to our inner life in a way that our world always wants to dumb down and simplify. Okay, so there is a deep complexity that we can't get around. And so I'm going to write a number of these up here, and then uh, we can go across them. Um, they're all Proverbs. Yeah, that's right. And they're all in a few pages of each other. And then we'll do 13, 12 will be the last. Uh, and you guys can help me 
we'll try and we'll try and come up with some language to describe what they're talking about here. Uh, what do I mean by, by our world tries to simplify? When you go to a counselor and you say, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling inner problems, uh, most, or I shouldn't say most, but many counselors have some approach or another that they've been trained in and that's what they use, okay? So a, a Freudian psychologist will look at your childhood background, your relationship with your parents, and that's the lens they look at everything through. A strict materialist denies that there even is such a thing as a spirit, so everything is chemical imbalances. Okay? A behavioralist says everything is trained behavior, and that's all there is to it, and so you just need to correct your behavior through Pavlovian training, conditioning, that kind of thing. Right? Um, so there's, you know, our, our world recognizes that there is such a thing as despair, depression, and yet so often it gets reduced down to one or another thing, and Proverbs is going to be more complex than that. So let's, let's think these, a few of these through and try and figure out, okay, what, how, how do we categorize that? What kind of thing is going on there? 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down or, or causes him to sink down, but a good word makes him glad. Okay, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. What kind of thing is that? What kind of cause is that? Yeah, Jan. Yeah, anxiety is a sort of fear, um, a fear of the future that... Um, so it's, it's a pattern of thought, that you're anxious, and your anxiety weighs you down. On the other hand, um, uh, a good word makes him glad. That's sort of the positive, the antidote. What's a, what, what kind of thing is that? Yeah, encouragement. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, someone else coming alongside of you, speaking a word from the outside, encouragement. So we have uh, anxiety, and we'll say thought. Okay, and then words also. Okay, uh, then how about 1513? Kind of jumping ahead a little bit there. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by the sorrow of heart or heartache, uh, the spirit is crushed. Here it's saying this is the cause of a crushed spirit. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Again, the heart is our... Uh, sort of our seed of our thoughts and our will. So it's saying a heartache or a, or a broken heart um, or a sorrowful heart leads to the spirit, the vitality being drained. Okay, so that's sort of something wrong in our will, our behavior, our thinking. Other thoughts on that? Sorry. Uh, okay, how about 1430? A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Um, there's other parallel proverbs, but we'll just drill down here for a minute. What this proverb is telling us is that there's a two-way street between our bodies and our inner lives. They're not totally disconnected, okay? Uh, and that's important to keep in mind. So, on the one hand, a tranquil heart, a peaceful heart, gives life to the flesh, to our body. Okay, so the condition of our inner life causes life to our body. But envy makes the bones rot. Okay? Uh, a, a disturbed inner life causes bodily problems. But it also goes the other way. Okay? Uh, a lack of sleep can 
cause you to be edgy and angry. Uh, and maybe that's why you're cussing at the drivers, okay? It goes both ways. Yeah, Chris. Passion, yes. Yeah, and I think that's actually maybe a little bit more accurate. That the, the passion is like emotion, stirred up. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think the Hebrew word is, is something to do with heat, that we feel heated up and it causes our bones to rot. And so it, it's a very physical, um, it's an idea that like our, our physical, uh, I guess let's put it in modern language, a rush of adrenaline with anger, that has impacts on your inner life. That the way you uh, interact with someone else if you're full of adrenaline or you have no adrenaline is different, okay? So our inner life is conditioned by heat, passion, uh, envy, those sorts of, sorts of ideas there. So that one is here and that's body. 15.4, uh, just a little bit back. A gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And it doesn't really quite nail down. Is it, is it breaking the speaker's spirit? Or is it breaking the hearer's spirit? Or probably both are true. Okay, Speaking perversely has effects on your own life over time. Someone speaking perversely to you or in a twisted way to you has effects on you as well, so someone can uh, uh, damage you with the words that they say. Um, that word breaks the spirit, it's actually a word elsewhere, um, thinking of Craig, that's the word used for breaking pottery when you're, I, I think you and Leslie were talking about some pottery breaking and had to, uh, that's the word there, that uh, perverse words can break us like broken pottery. So what kind, what kind of thing is that? Sorry, I sh this is a bit unfair because I chewed really hard on this all week and am still struggling to come to terms with it. So to expect you on the uh, fly to be able to come up with this. It, it's really like a, a relational idea here. The way someone else speaks to us has impacts on our inner life. Okay, so I'm going to call this one relational. Uh, and then uh, last two, 14, 13... Even in laughter, I, uh, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. That's the way ESV puts it. But the Hebrew is even more stark. Even in laughter, the heart aches. There's no may, conditional. Uh, and the end of joy is grief. What's it saying there? It's saying even in our experiences of laughter and joy, there's an element of heartache and sadness. And the end of joy is grief. Uh, we were at a wedding this week, and the minister was Lutheran, and the vows weren't that great. But all that to say, in Thomas Cramer's better vows that many of us would have used, at the happiest day of many people's lives, when you're marrying your spouse, and you both look as good as you're ever going to look, and you're all dolled up, and it's like the perfect moment, what do you say? You say, in sickness and in health. You recognize even on the day of happiness, the days of sadness will come. Uh, you say, in richer and in poorer, and then what do you say? To death do us part. Okay, even on the joyous day of your marriage, you're recognizing there will be an end to this, and it's a sad end. The end is death. And that's true of all of our experiences. Okay? 
You sit down to Thanksgiving dinner with all your family and friends, and it's a joyous occasion with family. One of you at that table will be the last living relative. It's true, okay? One of you will be the last one living at that table. Even in joy, there's ache, there's eventually grief. What do we call this? I, I'm going to put it as just existential, okay? Existential. The idea is being the nature of existence. We are finite beings. We came into being when we were born, and one day we will die. And there is anxiety that comes from that. There's dread. There's something that has to be dealt with there, or it causes turmoil to our inner life. Or we just ignore it. So we go shopping and pretend like we're not going to die. And we you know, scroll through endless pages of people pretending they're not going to die on the Netflix, or what do you call it, the, the internet there. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> that, that one that makes us all stupid on the computer. What do you call it? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thank you, the internet. Uh, uh, and then the last one. Um, 1312, 1319, they're side by side and they get at the same idea. Um, uh, 1312, sorry, I'm just going to turn there. 1312 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And then 1319, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Uh, those both talk about desire and hope, okay? Hope deferred, or the language there is hope being stretched out. Uh, it, it, uh, 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 hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is the kind of disturbed inner life we're talking about here. What's it saying? Uh, hope is faith focused in the future, okay? Faith is putting your trust in something. Hope saying you have trust in something for the future, that you're looking ahead and setting your heart on something. It's saying if you're setting your heart on the wrong thing and it ends up getting stretched out and that stretching causes heart sickness. But desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And 1319, desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul. Okay, so what's Proverbs telling us? First, there's a thing that we could call, you know, heartache, uh, crushed soul, uh, a disturbed inner life, whatever language we want to use there. Um, but Proverbs is telling us it can be caused by chemical imbalances in your body, but it's not just chemical imbalances in your body. Okay? If you have, uh, 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 it can be caused by relationship trouble in your life, but it's not just always only relationship trouble. Okay? It can be caused by patterns of negative ideation and the way you think about things that need to be overturned, but it's not just negative thought patterns. Okay? It can be a spiritual problem that you need to trust Jesus for the first time or further, but it's not just a spiritual problem. It can be moral issues that you are living in ways that cause guilt and that guilt causes your soul to be despondent. But it's not just moral issues, okay? All of those things can come together and interplay. And we need to be wise and remember and not, not reduce down to just one thing and re recognize the complexity of our inner lives or else we can cause trouble both to ourselves and to others, okay? 
if someone has problems with their pituitary gland and their body is producing more or less hormones than it ought to, and it's causing them to have problems in their inner life, depression, and you treat it as purely a spiritual issue, and you say, well, you just need to go to church more, and you need to pray more, and then you'll solve all your problems, you're, not, you're, you're being reductive, and you're being foolish. Okay? But on the other hand, to say all your problems are just physical, and here we'll give you pills, and that's going to solve everything in every case, is also reductive. Okay? There are spiritual components to our inner life. There are relational components. And those things all need to be taken into account as well. And so wisdom navigates the complexity, recognizing multiple causality, I guess if we want to use big words. But the, the, a number of factors are at play. Our inner life, the experience of our inner life is a number of things coming together. Our body, our spirit, our will, our thoughts, all those things, our memory, our history, all those things coming together. Uh, and then our relationships have a large degree of, of control over our inner life as well. Okay, you can wake up feeling great and you get to work and your boss is not happy and suddenly that has impact on your inner life, no matter how well you woke up and how good of a breakfast you had, right? Any other thoughts on causes or the condition? Does this make sense, the complexity? So what do we do about it? What's the cure then, using this medical metaphor? Sorry, I'm cheating. Um, Psalm, whoops, I forgot to. Psalm 34:18 uses the same language of the uh, crushed spirit. Here's what Psalm 34:18 says: "The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit." The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Uh, and that's really what the story of Exodus is about. The Israelites are crushed in spirit and so can't even hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is near to them. He saves them. He delivers them. And then they're able to hear his word. And so what, uh, stepping outside of Proverbs for a second, what it's telling us is we need something from the outside. We need God to be at work. Proverbs uh, 15, 11 and Oh, 15, 11, 16, 2, I've read both these already, um, or at least one of them. Both tell us that God knows our inner lives. So 15, 11 says, uh, Sheol and Abaddon, the grave, um, Hades, that kind of an idea, lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of the children of man. Okay, we don't even know the depths of our own heart, but the Lord does. Uh, and I don't see where I wrote down 15, 11, that's all right. Uh, the idea being that, that our, our spirits, the Lord weighs the spirit. Okay, again, two more that we've already read, but we'll read again on the cure. 14.10, the heart knows it's, uh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong one, 13.12, 13.12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We just talked about that, setting your hope on the wrong thing. But a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And then 15.4 uses this similar language. Uh, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We looked at both those on the negative side of how it causes damage, but I want to focus on the positive side now. Uh, uh, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. 
What's that tree of life language about? Return to the way things are supposed to be. Because where does the tree of life show up? In the Garden of Eden. Yes, remember in the Garden there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. And when Adam and Eve turn against God's own will, they're sent out of the Garden, barred from the tree of life. And then it's interesting, in the Bible, the next place it shows up is Proverbs, but then jumping over Proverbs for a minute, it's not until the book of Revelation that the tree of life is on either side of the river of life, uh, coming out of the new heavens, or the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, God's throne room. Uh, and so the tree of life, access to the tree of life, a restored uh, way things are supposed to be in Proverbs is the symbol of integration, of, of, of wellness in our inner life. It's in the garden, and it's in the new city at the end. And then in Proverbs talks about it two times here, that our need for the tree of life, desire fulfilled is the tree of life. That, uh, uh, of course, our desire is never ultimately all the way fulfilled, is it? It never quite lives up to what we were hoping. And that's kind of the idea it gets at. And yet the day when our desire is finally, ultimately, truly fulfilled, it's the tree of life. It's that return to the garden or, or the heavenly city that's a, a garden city. And then the tree shows up one other spot. It's never called the tree of life, but have you ever noticed how often the New Testament says Jesus was nailed to a tree? It seems like a little bit of exaggeration. I mean, the cross is made out of wood, but a tree? I mean, that's, is it, are they just being poetic? What's going on there? I think they're, they're doing two things. One, there's that passage in Deuteronomy about everybody who's hanged on a tree is cursed, that Christ is cursed by being hung on the tree. But the other thing is that the cursed tree becomes the tree of life. That we come to Christ, we eat and drink, and we have life. So Christ says, here's my body. It's nailed to the tree. It's the fruit of the tree, the cross. And so it's the way that we go from exile from the garden to being welcomed into the city is through the cross. And so in a sense, when we're dealing with these things, okay, anxiety, thoughts, what's the antidote? It's the gospel. Existential dread, that we're all one day going to die, uh, what's the solution? It's the tree of life, the gospel, that we can have life abundant. Um, we sang at the end, although I have to ask Dan, it might be a different version, till we meet again. Is the chorus of that the way that we learn from you, till we meet? Is that, okay. We sang that at the Christian rest home today uh, at the end of the service, but it's poignant because Karen Steenson's mom was there two times ago when I was there. She wasn't there last time. Uh, singing it with saints at the Christian rest home, I don't know which ones of them will be there and won't. And yet we sing till we meet again at the feet of Jesus. Uh, and so the existential dread that death comes for us all, that the Thanksgiving dinner table, there's going to be a last relative. And yet the hope is that we are all gathered at the heavenly feast. Proverbs tends to say a lot more negative things about the inner life than the, on the positive side. So it's a lot more about the problems than the solution. But uh, stepping outside of it on either side, picking up its language, it points us in the right direction. Other thoughts or comments or questions? Yeah, Nate. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it is. I mean, because it's Greek and Hebrew, but I think it is using the same word that tra would translate this. But off the top of my head, I think it is. But picking up the similar language to, um, to uh, uh, Psalm 34:18, that um, emptiness of spirit and recognizing that in God's presence is the step towards having a full spirit, be, uh, being blessed in that. Yeah, good question. Yeah, Lulu. Yeah. 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 And that's, yeah, and, and a lot of these passages we could flip over to the other side where it's saying a good word makes someone glad. Uh, 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 the encouraging word, I can't remember which verse that was in that we talked about, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, okay? It's speaking life to, those to, to someone who's in a situation where they have a crushed spirit. Uh, but you're right, yeah, we need to recognize where they're coming from to even know how to speak well and encouraging towards them. Um, and then also remember that Job's friends are at their best when they just sit with him quietly. Uh, and that's not easy to do, but um, important to do, I think, to, to, to sit silently with those who are... Yeah. Yeah, Dan. Yes. Yeah, that hope of, of, of healing and integration. Yeah, First Peter, uh, that was First Peter 1, the end of First Peter 1. Or sorry, 224. Yeah. There's a number, yeah, Galatians calls the cross a tree. I'm trying to remember where else. Um, yeah, Jesse. Um, Deuteronomy doesn't make that explicit. I think in the Deuteronomy, it's picturing things like uh, the exposure of bodies as a way to humiliate your enemies. Um, so it's saying, in a sense, it's the curse of God. And the, in Deuteronomy, it's specifically saying bury them at, by dusk. Um, yeah, so limiting, limiting the amount of, um, that you can expose an enemy's body to. Is the, yeah, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and Proverbs points there as well by reminding us that we don't even know the depths of our own heart in a number of Proverbs or our own spirit, and God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so it's a... Um, Corinthians and Proverbs both push back at the hubris of humanistic, uh, uh, anti-theistic reasoning that says we can, we can sort it all ourselves, we don't need God. Um, and, and both Proverbs and 1 Corinthians are saying, uh, you don't even know yourself. <laughs> you don't know the creator. You, you, know, he, you need God to know you is the, is the beginning of, of, of wisdom there. Or of, yeah. yeah, thanks, Steve. Well, I don't want to shut down discussion, but let's, uh, let's turn to our time of prayer if there's no other comments. Are there requests or needs to... Yes, Jack. 